This podcast contains content and language not suitable for some listeners. Welcome to Oddities and Curiosities, a podcast about murder, the paranormal, and other oddities sure to pique your curiosity. We are Amanda. And Brittany. I'm not copying that. Come on! <laughs> <laughs> I'm not copying that one. <laughs> I'm disappointed. If you had the day I had, you would not be that dead Okay, either. fine. All right. You're excused. <laughs> you're totally excused. I haven't had enough wine yet. I was just about to ask you how you're doing, <laughs> but uh, <laughs> you already know. Uh, it's been a doozy of a day. Brittany but it's fine. deserves this hump day treat. <laughs> I do. I do. <laughs> I do deserve this hump day treat. Most definitely. Yes. So, hey, y'all. Hi. Little oddballs. <laughs> how you doing? I'll ask them instead. Okay. Okay. <laughs> you sit there and wait on that response while I talk about our home day treat. <laughs> so, thank week, God it's home day. <laughs> yes. This week for hump day, we have um, an edible treat and a drinkable treat. <laughs> you said edible. I know. <laughs> Just for funsies, it's not really that kind of edible. It'd be a lot cooler if you did. <laughs> but episode 29 national parks yeah yes yes national parks crimes and such and such yeah so national parks made me think of camping and camping made me think of s'mores so (laughs) we have a little ice cream place here in treeport called sweetport we've gotten stuff from them before we've gotten their ice cream before Mm -hmm. and they're making homemade s'mores yeah Y'all. Oh, y'all. y'all. If you are local, Jesus, you, you've got to. Yeah. Take you two bucks and go into Sweetport and buy you a s'more. You won't regret it. Nope. It's homemade graham crackers and homemade marshmallows. Uh-huh. Dipped in chocolate. Yeah. It's ridiculous. It is. But it's so good. So delicious. And it goes very nicely with the wine. <laughs> it really yeah, does. It does. It really does. So, Okay. Small backstory of the wine. Oh, yeah. We took my son to see, uh, to go to the Polar Express in Palestine, Texas. And on our drive over there, we stopped at this gas station and they had this big display of local wine. So I bought some wine from the gas station. Don't judge. Hell yeah. From uh, Los Pinos Ranch. (laughs) (laughs) Sorry. Um, anyway, <laughs> it's a Moscato and Moscato. it had a picture of a cat dressed like the Mad Hatter on the front. So yeah. naturally I had to buy it. Yes. It's I'm so good. glad you did. It's pretty good. The yeah. first, the first taste did not really taste as sweet as I've come accustomed to with a Moscato. Right. But it was really good. So I have to read you all this description because it's fantastic. Yeah. Born in the Diamante Doble vineyards of the Texas High Plains. Mm. That sounded fancy. Fancy. (laughs) Our Moscato is a frisky rascal with wild floral aromas and racy flavors of honeysuckle, peach, pear, and apple. 
Like the Mad Catter, this wine is sly, slinky, and a little untamed. Yeah. It'll leave you wanting more of this walk on the wild side. Baby. I know. <laughs> it I starts mean, out playful and kind of leaves a little seductive. Yeah, I'm okay with it. I like it. it. But anyway, this is from a vineyard in Pittsburgh, Texas, and it's pretty good. Like, I've never had a wine change flavors that fast in my mouth before. <laughs> Realized how dirty that sounded. But <laughs> seriously, it started off kind of sweet and then it changed into bitter and then it went to like pear. Yeah. So actually guessed a flavor. I was pretty impressed with myself. <laughs> Amanda's come quite accustomed to changing the flavor of things in her mouth. It's fine. <laughs> it's fine. Whatever. I like the all natural flavors. Yeah, that's what she said. That's it. We're done. Talk at you you next next week. week. (laughs) I'm so right right now. We're professionals. It's fine. We're totally professionals. (laughs) Hashtag podcast life. (laughs) Okay. All righty then. There's our hope day treat. Um, Let us know what yours is. Yes. Share with us. Yeah. We want to know. Give us some ideas. Yeah. So go to social media Mm -hmm. and tell us. Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, what your hump day treats are. Yes. Also, go do those things so you can follow us and see See the photos. Yes. You want to see the pictures. Mm -hmm. I got some good ones this week. Me too. (sighs) I've kind of been (laughs) slacking on the photos. That was my Romeo Michelle. (laughs) Me too. Oh, I know. <laughs> like when I replied the other night in, in the group text. Yes. I'll post it, y'all. I'll post it because it was a conversation <laughs> between me, Stephen, and Brittany, and it was really funny. <laughs> Stephen kind of checked out. <laughs> he did. We went all Romeo and Michelle. It's fine. <laughs> he can't hang. No. It was, it was cute. He was complimenting us on our last episode and how easy it was to edit. Because we're professionals. We weren't as much of a train wreck as usual. Right? Yeah. We're growing. Okay. <laughs> Apparently not. Let's... What are we doing? <laughs> um, national parks. <laughs> yes. National parks. Okay. You go first. Okay. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Since that's the format, I think I'll go first. All right. <laughs> okay. So this week... I chose a case that I have heard about, but didn't know very much about, if that makes any sense. Like, the name sounded familiar. I know I've heard a story about it, but I didn't know any deets. So. I don't know if I know this one or not, honestly. Okay. Well, then let me tell you. Teach me. Okay. So, I'm doing uh, the case of Meredith Emerson. Meredith Hope Emerson was born in Charleston, South Carolina. She was raised in Holly Springs, North Carolina, a suburb of Raleigh, and in Longmont, Colorado. Okay. Yeah, so, movers. Wow. Yeah, they started in South Carolina and then moved to Colorado. I mean, they picked some good spots, though. Yeah. Meredith graduated from, I think that's Neewat. Maybe? That's what I'm going with. Okay. Graduated from Neewat High School in Neewat, Colorado. In 2005, she graduated with honors from the University of Georgia 
with a bachelor's degree in French. Je te floop flee. Whoa. Fancy. Okay. And was given the Cecil Wilcox Award for Excellence in French. You, you go, go, girl. girl. <laughs> <laughs> oh, no. All righty then. Dude, we did that the other day at work in front of your dad, and he goes, oh, that's scary. Mm -hmm. Y'all are spending too much time together. <laughs> so you have no idea. Emerson lived in Buford, Georgia. Buford. Buford. So if you want to um, go to the notes. Yes, I do. And look at the picture that just says Meredith. It looks like she's like in a Is pipe. she in a tire? Yeah, pipe or tire swing or something. I don't what is that? I can't tell. But I thought it was cute how like carefree she looked in that picture. She's adorable. Yeah. Aw. So that's Meredith. I have a feeling Meredith doesn't make it. Your feeling would be correct. Uh. Yeah. Oh. <laughs> I, I'm I'm about to tell you. You always make comments and then like the very next sentence is with <laughs> When it gets clarified or answered, it's kind of funny. <laughs> we have the same thought process, I guess. You know what I want. <laughs> oh, I'll give you a jewel. Oh! oh. <laughs> Showing. Oh, my God. Okay. <laughs> Sometimes I should just keep things in my head. <laughs> She's so red right now. But you know how sometimes you make jokes in your head? Yeah. And you think it's funny, but you wonder if anybody else will. But you keep it to yourself just in case. Yeah. That was one of those I probably should have kept to myself just in case. No, this is where we're allowed to let those fly. And there's always editing fly. if it doesn't work. <laughs> okay. <clears throat> All right, I'm good. Yeah. Let's talk about Meredith. Okay. Meredith Emerson was a 24-year-old woman who was murdered in January 2008 by drifter Gary Michael Hilton. I knew it. Mm-hmm. It's always them fucking drifters. Gary. Gary. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> she was last seen alive hiking with her dog Ella Aww. on Blood Mountain in northern Georgia on New Year's Day. Can we take a pause real quick and Blood say that maybe you shouldn't hike on Blood Mountain? I mean, I probably would. Brittany, it's, it's you're making ominous. me go to an asylum, and you wouldn't go hiking on Blood Mountain? Okay, touche. Thank you. But go to the notes so you can see a picture of Meredith and Ella. Oh! Ella is the cutest dog. She's like a little... Oh, lab. my... She's a little lab gosh. mix, maybe. But, um... Her you can't. Ears. You can't really tell when you zoom into this picture because it pixelates a little bit. Yeah, it does. But um, that is her um certificate for doggy training. Oh my god! Isn't that the cutest thing? Oh, she's so cute. Yeah, sweet little Ella. Is Ella smiling? Uh, probably. She looks like a happy little dog. She does. So, um, Blood Mountain is the highest peak on the Georgia section of the Appalachian Trail and the sixth tallest mountain in Georgia. It is located on the border of Lumpkin County with Union County and is within the boundaries of the Chattahoochee National Forest and the Blood Mountain Wilderness. Way down yonder on the Chattahoochee. <laughs> you saw me dancing? Yes. I knew that's where your brain went. I mean, how can you not go there? So, when we were kids, 
Seth, I'm finna tell your business. Oh. To all my people. Dish it. Maybe if you listen to the podcast more, I wouldn't have to do this. <clears throat> Anywho. Oh. Been called out. Seth had a thing for Alan Jackson. He wanted to be Alan Jackson when he grew up. No. Down to the whitewashed jeans. No. And the neon colored western shirts. <laughs> he had a mullet style haircut like Alan Jackson. We need photos. Mom, 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 I vid- hold on. <laughs> I vividly remember there's one and I'm pretty sure it's in a frame in my mom's house somewhere where he's wearing whitewashed jeans and a purple shirt and holding a toy guitar with his white cowboy hat on. Oh, yes. Because he was all about some Alan Jackson and he loved Chattahoochee. <laughs> it gets hotter than a hoochie coochie. And he was like eight singing that song. <laughs> we had no idea what it meant. <laughs> yeah. It's fine though. Oh my God. <laughs> but, um, yeah, so, Blood Mountain. Okay. Uh, Chattahoo- Chattahoochee. <laughs> Chattahoochee National Forest. So, okay. go um, go to the notes, and I have three different pictures of Blood Mountain, and this is, in fact, why you go hiking on Blood Mountain. Oh, wow. I know. Uh, yeah. And I had so many pictures to choose from, I just picked the first three that made me go, <gasps> Oh, that's so pretty. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, so maybe I will. Mm-hmm. Witnesses claim to have seen Meredith with an older man on the spur trail connecting the Appalachian Trail with the Byron Herbert Reese parking lot. So connecting the parking lot with the trail was another little trail. Okay. To get over there. And people saw her with an older man on that trail. Mm. Both Meredith and Ella were seasoned hikers. But that day, things would not be the same. If you go to the notes one more time, I'm going to show you another picture of Meredith where she's being outdoorsy. Mm-hmm. Oh, she's so cute. I know. She's all bundled up in the Her snow. Her little ski bunny outfit. Yeah. She's cute. So she's she's a seasoned outdoorsman. Yes. Outdoors woman. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Excuse me. <laughs> Um, Seth Blankenship, another hiker, stated that he had noticed how in one portion of the trail, it looked like a fight had occurred. Water bottles, a police baton, and a leather dog leash, amongst other items, were lying on the ground. Ella had a leather dog leash. Mm-hmm. She did. I noticed that in the photo. Ding, ding, ding. I'm so good. <laughs> he knew- a, Wait, a police baton? Yeah. Well, if you would just shish, okay. I'll tell you. He knew something was wrong because he had seen that same baton in the hands of an old man. Oh, my God. We did it again. Oops. We did it again. And Meredith had her dog on the same leash. What? Bill Clawson was also present that day, and he actually noticed the old man waiting impatiently for other people to leave the area. This was the same man seen with Meredith earlier. So that's okay. two different witnesses. Mm-hmm. So see something, say something. Just saying. Yes, just saying. Yes, <laughs> all the great podcasters say that. Yep. Yeah, we're one of them. No. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, we just did, but we stole it. Yeah, it's fine. But they're right. They are. Mm-hmm. 
When she did not return home on January 2nd, 2008, her friends began to search for her. Her roommate called Meredith's boyfriend, who then went and checked out Blood Mountain. He was hoping for the best and thought that she may have just spent the night there after getting snowed in. After all, her car was still in the parking lot untouched. So he proceeded to alert the authorities, and she was listed as an overdue hiker, with everyone thinking that she would be rescued soon. Good job, boyfriend. I know. It does bother me that they waited till the next day. Yeah, but like you said, she was a seasoned outdoor woman. Which is why it would have bothered me that she didn't come back when she was supposed to. Yeah, but I mean, maybe that just happens. I'm sorry. If you don't come back when you're supposed to, then I'm calling the police. Right? (laughs) I'm all for calling the police. Yeah. The sheriff's office collaborated with local emergency personnel to launch a rescue mission for Meredith. They searched the trail and her car. They even pulled out her phone records to no avail. A helicopter was also called in to expand their search radius. When all these attempts failed, the Georgia Bureau of Investigation was contacted. It's like a little mini FBI that Georgia has. Yeah. I don't know why Georgia thinks they're so special, but whatever. There's there's a few states that have that, actually. Louisiana don't got one of those. No, Georgia is definitely one, though. I've heard a few other cases involving them. So I don't know of any Louisiana Bureau of Investigation. <laughs> We're a little ratchet over here. A little bit. A little ratchet. I don't know. Do we have one? No. Have you ever heard of that being a thing? No. After an inquiry, it turned out that the case was not as simple as it looked. In reality, she had been abducted and her killer had her debit card. He was driving around town trying to withdraw money from ATMs. However, she kept giving him the wrong PIN number every time. Smart. Yeah. This indicated the actual direction that the criminal and his victim were traveling in, which was nowhere near the search radius of the trail. So she was giving them clues. Good girl. Meredith, go. Yeah. Smart girl. At this point in time, Meredith was still alive. The GBI claimed that they had asked for Meredith's bank statements on January 3rd. But Wells Fargo contested this by saying that they requested this on the 4th. Then the information was promptly handed over to the U.S. Marshal Service. They then gave it to the GBI. Okay. So everybody's like trying to pass the buck. Well, they didn't give it to me in time. Well, they didn't ask for it. Right. On January 3rd, the police held a news conference and a businessman named John Tabor called the tip line. He identified the murderer after seeing the story on CNN. Wow. Tabor told authorities that Hilton had done some marketing work for his company, and because of this, he also had the killer's personal information. Wow. Hilton's date of birth, his white Chevy Astro van and its tag number, and the name of his dog were provided to the dispatcher. Wow. Yeah. (laughs) This data was then passed on to the GBI, who put out a bolo on Hilton that afternoon. That's a be on the lookout. Right. John received two uh, phone calls from Hilton after this, one from his cell phone and another from the payphone at the Huddle House restaurant. Okay. Um, Pause. (laughs) (laughs) What is the Huddle House? (laughs) You don't know what a Huddle House is? No. What is that? It's like a Waffle House. I mean, I kind of... Stephen and I worked at a Huddle House Oh, that's right. (laughs) That's right. Okay. 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 My bad. Back in the day, I was a graveyard shift waitress. (laughs) Yeah. At the Huddle House in a college town. 
So I made almost no tips and got my ass grabbed occasionally. Mm. Yeah. I mean. Good times. It would have been worth it if you got the tips. She says sarcastically. Mm. Drunk college guys are not fun. No. No. Anywho. Huddle house. Yeah. Um, Memories. <laughs> it was money that Hilton was after and he told John to leave a check for him at his place of business. John did as he was asked out of fear of the well-being for his family and also in hopes of the GBI catching Hilton. However, officials were too late as he had already left by the time they arrived. Oh, my God. Why is somebody not staking that shit out? Right. Why weren't you there, like, as soon as they made that phone call? I know. I can't with these people. Come on, GBI. So, Meredith's dog was found on January 4th, 2008 in Cumming, Georgia, Approximately 60 miles away. She was found alive. Ellie was <gasps> alive. Yes. She oh, was good. 60 miles away from Jesus. where she should have been. It's really far. Yeah. Also, on January 4th, three days after Emerson was last seen, a witness at a Chevron gas station called DeKalb police and stated that, quote, the guy you're looking for is cleaning out his van, end quote. Wow. <laughs> so, if you want to go to the notes real quick, I have a picture of his van in the parking lot. Ugh. Which is shit strewn everywhere. Oh, my God. Yeah. Yeah. He was living out of that sucker. There's a yeah, lot of basket back there. There's all kinds of crap in there. Oh, yeah. my God. And it's still full. Mm-hmm. Looks like weighted down. Mm-hmm. I don't like Astro vans anyways. Who does? Oh, that kind of creepy. Yeah. It's a murder van. It is. Especially a white one. Yeah. Ugh. That's part of the serial killer kit. It is. Comes with your glasses. <laughs> <laughs> and the stash. Yes. <laughs> the police quickly arrived on the scene and were able to stop the accused before he could bleach the interior of the van. Crime scene analysts obtained blood evidence that was matched to Emerson's DNA. Gary Michael Hilton was subsequently arrested and charged with Emerson's murder. Yeah, yeah. I have a mugshot. Oh, yes. We all love mugshots. Ew. I know. Ew, he is mean looking. I know. He looks like a killer off of, you know, a TV show. Ew. Doesn't he? Like, he looks like he could be on Criminal Minds. Something. Yeah, I don't like it. He is crazy. Creepy as fuck. Oh, yep. I, I'm clicking off of that. Yep. I don't like that glare. So you remember Bill Clawson that we talked about earlier? He's the one that saw uh, Hilton waiting for oh, yeah, people yeah. to leave the area. Yeah. So Bill Clawson saw the story on a news channel and drove down to the headquarters to inform authorities about what he had seen on the trail. Cool. Many other witnesses from that day also followed suit. So they had plenty of eyewitness testimony. Autopsy results for Emerson indicated she was killed on January 4th, 2008 by blunt force trauma to the head. Oh. The killer then decapitated her and buried her body. Oh, my God. The prosecution agreed to take the death penalty off the table if Hilton would lead the investigators to her body. He agreed and successfully led them to Emerson's body. Hilton claimed he had asked Emerson for her debit card pin and that when she failed to give him the correct number, he kept her for four days before killing her. Oh, my God. That's why the January 3rd thing was so important to Mm -hmm. argue about. Yep. Oh, my gosh. Meredith Emerson used her wits and martial arts training when she was attacked, he told investigators. 
Gary Michael Hilton described his four days with Emerson and how she fought him from the moment he tried to overpower her as she hiked with her dog. Hilton stated he could not bring himself to kill her dog and that when it came to the woman herself, quote, it was hard. You got to remember, we had spent several good days together, end quote. Good days together? Fuck you. Douchebox. Yes. Yes. Isn't that what we said last week was douchebox? Pretty sure, yeah. Because douchebag box was too hard to say. Yeah, we didn't like that. Yeah. That was too much. Yeah. All right. He's in it. Yep, douchebox. (laughs) Here is another reason for him to be in the box. Okay. He told investigators he targeted her because she was a woman. Ugh. For a time, they had hiked together near the Appalachian Trail in Union County, but the 61-year-old Hilton couldn't keep up. Because she was an experienced hiker and in good shape. Yes. When Emerson turned and headed back down the trail, Hilton was waiting with a military-style knife. He demanded her ATM card, and Emerson immediately went on the defensive, grabbing the blade and a baton Hilton used to counter her struggle. So she got his weapons. Yes. Go. Damn. Yeah. Good girl. Fight. Quote, she wouldn't stop. End quote. Good. I mean, you're, that's what you're supposed to do, but... Yeah. Unfortunately. Hilton told investigators, uh, quote, she wouldn't stop fighting and yelling at the same time, so I needed to both control her and silence her, end quote. Mm. Hilton said he did that by punching her, blackening both her eyes and possibly breaking her nose. He said the blows also broke his hand. He hit her so hard he broke his own hand. Oh, my God. She was doing everything she could to stay alive, GBI Director Vernon Keenan told a newspaper. It's not something you can train for. Instinct kicks in. She nearly got the best of him. She's very much a hero. Yes. On January 30th, 2008, Gary Hilton pleaded guilty to the murder of Emerson. I've got a picture of him going into court. I don't like him. He looks all puny. So Good. Yeah. Okay. I like seeing him in handcuffs. Why is Bruce Jenner leading the way? <laughs> <laughs> That's the first time I noticed that. Or Caitlin? Is that Caitlin? That's Caitlin. <laughs> yes. <laughs> For some reason, I can't always remember Caitlin. Oh my god! <laughs> but doesn't that look like it him? does? <laughs> it looks exactly like her. Him. They. Them. I don't know. That's why I themed. <laughs> it's them. I think it's. I think that's what. They like to be called. <laughs> <laughs> you interrupted my song. <laughs> I was just about to say that. Uh, <laughs> I really get her. <laughs> yep. That was bad. Okay. Well. He was sentenced to life in prison with the possibility for parole in 30 years. Mm. Hilton was later linked to and then charged with three additional murders. The October 2007 murders of elderly couple John and Irene Bryant in North Carolina and the December 2007 murder of a 46-year-old nurse, Cheryl Dunlap, in Florida. Oh my gosh! It has been speculated that Hilton might also be responsible for the 1997 murder of Judy Smith. This is because Hilton had left one of his victims in a similar condition near where Smith's body was discovered. Ew. In 2011, Hilton was tried for Dunlap's murder and was sentenced to death. In 2012, 
He pled guilty to the kidnapping and murder of the Bryants, for which he was sentenced to life in prison. He was dubbed the National Forest Serial Killer. Gross. Yeah. He's a gross human. Yes, he is. Okay. So this part right here. (laughs) I almost didn't include, but it sounds kind of cray. So. Okay. On February 25th, 2010, Hustler Magazine reporter Fred Rosen... (laughs) Asked for the Meredith Emerson crime scene and autopsy photos as part of an open records request filed with the Georgia Bureau of Investigation. Yes. Why? No. Why no. is Hustler Magazine? Oh no. <laughs> needing that. Oh no. But I'm here for it. <laughs> it's so twisted. <laughs> That's fucked up, dude. What? Men jerk off to that magazine, and so you're going to put autopsy photos in there, also. Maybe they were no. trying to branch out and do it. Nobody a reads thing. it for the articles. <laughs> <laughs> There's not one person that reads it for the articles. <laughs> the victim's family requested that the request must be denied, according to attorney Lindsay Hay. In March 2010, DeKalb Superior Court Judge Daniel Kersey issued a temporary order restraining the GBI from releasing any and all photographs, visual images, or depictions of Meredith Emerson, which show Emerson in an unclothed or dismembered state. Good. This order came on the same date that the Georgia House Governmental Affairs Committee unanimously passed the Meredith Emerson Memorial Privacy Act, which prevents crime scene photos from being publicly released. So that's why you don't see very many crime scene photos anymore. Okay. I respect it. Yeah. Hustler's response was through an email that said, quote, Hustler is aware of the GBI's refusal to honor its reporter's request for copies of the Emerson crime scene photos, which were to be used in a news story about this crime. Hustler and Mr. Flint disagree (laughs) with the GBI's position and are currently exploring all legal options available to them should the decision be made to go forward with the story, end quote. What the fuck? I know. That that whole situation just baffles me, but I kept it in because it did, because of that. It, yeah, it did a really good thing, yeah. so. But it was like, really, why is Hustler writing about murder? I just I need to know that. No, I, Hustler, I, I want to know. <laughs> but um, just so y'all know, for now, Gary Hilton remains on death row in uh, the Union Correctional Institute. Well, good. Yeah. So, that was it. That was my case. You know what? That was really good. Thank you. I I like it very much. Yes. This poor poor sweet baby girl. Oh, my gosh. And, you know, like, it happened very quickly. Like, I was kind of given the police grief. And, yeah, had some things been done a little bit differently, maybe they would have found her alive. But there are so many, like, missing persons cases that you hear. Yeah. That they don't even start searching until after 48 hours. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And, like, they started searching immediately. As soon as they reported her, oh, they yeah. had helicopters in the air. They were doing press conferences. Like, they were looking for her. And so that's pretty cool. Yeah. That, I mean, that was very well done. They tried. They did try. Um, so, you know, shit happens. Props to that, Georgia. But it's it's not really the police. Like, the local police department was on it. It was the GBI that kind of... Dropped the ball. Yeah, flubbed a little bit. Mm-hmm. If it was then. Like, if you don't know if it was then right. or Wells Fargo. Yeah. 
or if that even would have made a difference like you you, you, you never, never know, know. <laughs> <laughs> it just happened again yeah it did all right it is yeah take a bite tell me some stuff i'm ready okay my case i've heard it before and all i could say was what the f what what <laughs> so i had to do this i'm so excited i did not do any background i jumped right into it okay I okay like it. all right well maybe a little bit a tidbit just a tip <laughs> <laughs> game called just the tip <laughs> <laughs> okay so my case is on chris Krimmers and lasan Froon. they were dutch students who disappeared on april 1st 2014 while hiking the pianista trail in panama after an extensive search portions of their bodies were found a few months later you're welcome <laughs> Their cause of death could not be determined definitively, but Dutch authorities working with forensic and search rescue invest investigators initially thought it likely the students had accidentally fallen from a cliff of after <laughs> cliff cliff after becoming lost. I will get it together eventually, <laughs> but it's episode 29 and I still haven't yet. So here we it's are. It's fine. However, foul play could not entirely be ruled out and is considered by some much more likely due to other remains being found. Yeah. Okay. The circumstances and aftermath of their disappearance have resulted in much speculation about their final days. Panamanian authorities came under fire for allegedly mishandling the disappearance and aftermath. Further investigation into the case in 2017 raised questions about the initial investigation, as well as a possible link to the murders in the area. Oh yeah, there was more. Although many theories have been presented as to what happened to Kramers and Froon, no official cause of death has ever been ruled. Hmm. hmm. So... Chris, 21, and Lasan, 22, both grew up in Amersfoort. I can't, I can't say the German pronunciation. I think it's Utrecht. Sounds good to me. With more of a in the Netherlands. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like, I, I tried to play the recording several times, but yeah. It's fine. So, it's in the Netherlands. Chris was described as an open, creative, and responsible individual, while Lassan was described as an aspiring, optimistic, intelligent, and a passionate volleyball player. Get it, go. Yeah, all right. Chris had just completed her studies in cultural social education, specializing in art education at the University of Utrecht. Uh, Lassan had graduated with a degree in applied psychology from Deventer. Okay. I have a picture of the two girlies. Chris and Lasan. Look how cute they are. Aren't they adorable? Yeah. I know. Aww. That's on their trip to Panama. They got arms. I know. They're so young and full of life. And damn it. Okay. Only a few weeks prior to leaving for Panama, Lasan had moved in with Chris. 
Good spelling. You see my, you yeah. see my typo right there? I just <laughs> noticed that. K-R-S-I. You're so pretty. Okay, so they moved in together in a dorm room in Amersfoot, and they worked together at the cafe slash restaurant called Indian Klein and Hop. Nice. I didn't know what it means. Heineken. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. <laughs> they both saved up money for six months and planned to go to Panama together on a special six-week vacation. Six-week vacation. What is that like? That's when you have no spouse and no kids. And no bills. And no bills. Uh, yeah. Obviously. Like, okay. I don't. I don't know that life. Mm-mm. Um, hoping to learn Spanish and do something sig- of significance for the locals, particularly in volunteering with children. Aww. I know the trip was also supposed to be a, re- a reward for Lasan for uh, graduating. Yay! I know, right? The girls arrived in Panama on March fifteenth, two thousand fourteen. They toured the country for two weeks before arriving in Bouquet, Cherokee. Yeah. It's somewhere over there. On March 29th, to live with a local family for a month while volunteering with children. On April 1st, around 11 o'clock, they went hiking near the clouded forest that surrounded the Buru Volcano in the El Pianista Trail, not far from Bouquet. Yep. Some sources say they took... With them, a dog that belonged to the owners of the El Pianista Pianista restaurant, but it hasn't been confirmed. The women wrote on Facebook that they intended to walk around Bouquet, and it was reported that they had been seen having brunch with two young Dutchmen before embarking on the trail. So they had to go to Panama to find some Dutchmen to have lunch with? I mean, whatever (laughs) you do, you girl. Um, I have some photos of this trail. It is absolutely gorgeous. Like, I see why they went. The first picture is just, there's, these pictures that I have right here are just random people. Okay. But there's a reason that I have that first photo, and we'll come back to that in a little bit. Okay. Um, there's some boulders that have the marking of the beginning of the trail. That looks gorgeous. Right? And terrifying. Yeah. I it mean, looks like a place where you would get murdered. Mm-hmm. hmm But it's beautiful. That bridge looks like you could fall to your death right there. Yeah, I forgot the name of the bridge. You could take some badass pictures out there. Yeah. That one in the middle is like the actual trail. That's mm-hmm. what it looks like. So you need hiking You boots. can't you get can't, out of that. You can't wear tennis shoes there. No. No. There's no getting out of that. Um, so yeah, there's the waterfall and then down on the bottom left is the cloud forest. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's pretty, it is beautiful. I, I get it, but, but if you uh, go there, you're going to die it, you can tell by looking at it. You're gonna <laughs> die. Um, I read up a little bit about it and they said it's, it's pretty treacherous. Like you, you go through this trail and it's not just a trail. Like at the end of it, you have to actually go through a stream that's like two to three feet deep. I mean, it's. You got to hike. Mm, I ain't you about gotta, that life. Yeah. <laughs> what is Can that? Can you go about a mile into a nice picnic area I'm and sure. then turn around and go back? I don't know. I'll show you. That's that's how I like to hike. <laughs> we will examine it further. Okay. Some sources claim the owners of the restaurant became alarmed when their dog returned home that night without um, the two girls. Lassan's parents stopped receiving text messages, which both women had been sending to their families daily. 
On the morning of April 2nd, the women missed an appointment with a local guide. On April 6th, their parents arrived in Panama along with police, dog units, and detectives from the Netherlands to conduct a full-scale search of the forest for 10 days. Well, they don't fuck around in the Netherlands, do they? No, they do not. Um, The parents offered a $30,000 reward for any information leading to the whereabouts of their babies. Ten weeks later, on June 14th, a local woman turned in Lasan's blue backpack, which she reported finding by a riverbank near the village of Alto Romero in the Bocas de la Toro province. The backpack contained two pairs of sunglasses, $83 in cash, Lasan's passport, a water bottle, her camera, two bras, and both of the women's phones. All in good condition. Okay. I have a picture of the backpack. Okay. Um, I mean, you can see like so the it looks sunglasses. Completely untouched. And, yeah. Interesting. That's not blue to me, but um, that's black. Yeah, that looks black, but all the stuff said blue. Yeah. I don't know. Maybe it was navy blue. Maybe. <laughs> Whatever. So, okay, here's here's some weird stuff. The women's phones showed that just hours after the beginning of their hike, someone dialed 112, which is the international number for emergencies in Panama. Like, And they also dialed 911. Okay. The first distress call attempt was made by Chris's phone at 439. And shortly after that, another attempt was made from LaSan's Samsung Galaxy at 451. So it's kind of, it's like iPhone battling Samsung in this one, too. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but none of the calls got through due to lack of reception in the area. None of the subsequent call attempts ever managed to go through either. Mm. I wonder if somebody got hurt. We'll get to it. Okay. <laughs> On April 4th, Lasan's phone battery became exhausted after 5 o'clock, and the phone was never used again. Chris's phone would not make any more calls either, but it was intermittently turned on to search for reception. Between April 5th and April 11th, the iPhone was turned on multiple times, but without ever entering the correct PIN code. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Either no PIN or a wrong PIN code was entered. On April 11th, the phone was turned on at 1051 and was turned off for the last time at 1156. Okay. Yeah. I'm going to, like, go into the timeline a little bit more, to. <laughs> so, don't worry. Okay. Okay. Lasan's Canon camera contained photos from April 1st suggesting that the women had taken a trail at the overlook of the Continental Divide. Oh, my God. I've always wanted to go there. And wandered into some wilderness hours before their first attempt at making any emergency calls, but with no signs of anything unusual. On April 8th, 90 flash photos were taken between 1 and 4 Okay. a.m. Okay. So that's why they were flash photos. Um, I'm guessing they were trying to see where they were going. Maybe. Apparently deep in the jungle and in near complete darkness. A few photos show that they were possibly near a river or a ravine. Some show a twig with plastic bags on top of a rock. Another shows what looks like a backpack strap and a mirror on another rock. I couldn't find a photo of that. Um, Another shows a picture of the back of Chris's head. Okay. You want to go look at those? 
Um, there were some pictures of Chris on there. And you can see where they were, you know, going down the trail. Yeah. It's so pretty. Um, but over to the left is the picture of the twigs with the plastic bag. I wonder if they were leaving clues behind as to their whereabouts. Either clues or like markers or something because I don't know. Okay. That picture down below is of a cliff. Mm-hmm. Okay. So real quick, go back to those photos that I showed you of the trail. That top left photo. I'm pretty damn sure that that's the same spot. Okay. I don't know what that is like significant with, but I'm pretty damn sure that's the same spot. It looks real close, but that's just at night. Like maybe. Yeah. Well, I'm sure there's a lot of cliffs on that. Well, I've seen this photo a lot of other times and they're, they've got like shadows circled and stuff like that. And they're like, look, it's somebody waiting down there. No, it's not. No. And I also have a picture of the back of Chris's head. It's wounded. Yeah, it is. It looks to me like puncture marks in the back of her neck. Yeah. I wonder if she fell. I don't know. Fell onto something, you know? Yeah. Um, Like when I first heard this case and I saw that picture of the cliff, I was like, okay, was she taking a picture to see where her friend fell? Some people think that Chris is dead in that photo. Hmm. Creepy. It is very creepy. And we don't know why. Yeah. So there's those. <laughs> <laughs> the discovery of the backpack led to new searches along the Culliber Cut. Um, Chris's denim shorts were found on top of a rock on the opposite bank of the tributary, a few kilometers away from where Lasan's backpack had been discovered. I bet they were leaving a trail of the direction they were going for people to find. Yeah. That's what I'm thinking. Or Chris was injured and Lasan was trying to go get help and she was leaving a trail of where Chris was. So Maybe. she could find her. Even Maybe. if she was dead. Like so they could either way. That I don't know. Maybe. My opinion has changed a little bit, but that was my first thought when I first heard it. See, my my gut reaction know. is, let's leave a trail of breadcrumbs for people to follow. Yeah. It was definitely a trail for something. Yeah. A rumor claimed that the shorts were found zipped and neatly folded, but pictures of the shorts published in 2021, thank you, <laughs> disproved this information. So now I'm a little bit iffy. I have a picture of the shorts. That's not neatly folded on a rock. They look wet. Yeah. Well, like, okay, one thing. You don't know when this picture was taken. Mm -mm. Was it taken when the shorts were found? Was it taken after they had looked at the shorts? Like, has anyone touched it? Either way, I don't think anybody would have unbuttoned and unzipped them. No. But, I don't know. I'm pretty sure that's how they found them since, like, they found the twigs and other stuff. Hopefully they didn't touch them. Yeah. Any uh, <laughs> official should know that. You would think. You would think. But you never know. Two months later, 
Closer to where the backpack was discovered, a pelvis and a boot with a foot inside were found. Okay. Soon, at least 33 widely scattered bones were discovered along the same riverbank. DNA testing confirmed that they belonged to Chris and Lasan. Lasan's bones still had some skin attached to them, but Chris's bones appeared to have been appeared to have been bleached. Okay. What's that word? Panamanian. A Panamanian forensic. <laughs> forensic. <laughs> I was oh. trying not to laugh. <laughs> okay. I can't. A Panamanian forensic anthropologist later claimed that under magnification, there are no discernible scratches of any kind on the bones, neither of natural nor cultural origin. There are no barks on the bone at all. That's weird. So it wasn't an animal. Yeah. You want to see mm. some pieces? Sure. Okay. Okay. Well, that's a boot. And that's a boot with a foot inside of it. I can't see the foot. But you well, can tell there's a that sock. the boot is still filled out. But there's a foot in there. Okay. And there's the uh, shoulder bone of Chris. Okay. Compared to what would be sun bleached. That's like okay. bleached bleached. Okay. Got it. So that's not natural for what was there. Okay, and if you zoom in on that little chart I have, mm-hmm. you can see how big the trail is and where it's at. Okay. And it marks, like, where all their stuff was found. So they started hiking. They got to Lookout Point. We know for sure. Yeah. And then all their stuff was scattered that far. Okay. Mm-hmm. Interesting. Very. I don't know. Like, it's it's pretty vast. <laughs> I'll say that again. Vast. <laughs> yeah. My personal guess, they was murdered. Okay. So, okay. Before the bleaching of the bones, mm-hmm. I thought accident. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I thought they lost their way because... The pictures of that trail, it looks like you could very easily get oh, lost yeah. in there. Oh, yeah. For sure. And so I was thinking, lost their way. One or both were injured. Mm-hmm. They succumbed to the elements or their injuries. Something. Animal, But even, they're not going to but... bleach their own bones. No. Okay. And what would they do it with? Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. So, I found another article that pretty much, like, had my same opinion, and he got real accurate with it and broke it down. Mm -hmm. So, here we go. So, the photos that were taken on April 8th were probably taken by the murderer to mislead the police. So, so was the cell phone signal checking and calling 112 and 911. Okay. Just bear with me. So, April 1st, on that morning, the two girls were enjoying their hike, right? Mm-hmm. In the afternoon, they went missing. April 1st through 6th, cell phone activities and um, signal checks and attempts to call the emergency numbers, but the cell phones had no signal. April 3rd, the search began. 
and this was seven days after their appearance um, on April 8th from 1 to 4 is when those 90 photos were taken. Mm-hmm. April 11th was the last attempt to um, check signal on Chris's phone. Um, there was also a deleted picture, which I don't really read too much into. They couldn't find that deleted picture. No clue. But yeah. there's, there's a lot of people that speculate about that, and he did, but I, I don't really... I, I don't know. I mean, that could have been anything. It could, could have been, been a completely dark picture and yeah. deleted it or whatever. But, okay, if they were hurt, there was no goodbye messages. None. When people know that it's hopeless and that they'll die, they would leave behind goodbye messages to loved ones. Mm-hmm. Um, this is done to let their loved ones know that they love them and to explain that you know, how they got themselves into this life-threatening situation. Mm-hmm. I mean, you can write something down. In this case, the girls could have made a good vi- goodbye video with their camera or cell phone because, I mean, at least take a picture or something to explain what happened. Yeah. The only reason that they could not leave a goodbye, mes- goodbye message is maybe because they weren't able to. They were able to take 90 photos on the 7th after they disappeared. I mean, that shows that they could have easily left a goodbye message. Yeah. And by they, perhaps referring to their murderer now. Yeah. It only takes a few minutes to leave one goodbye video. Like, Mom, Dad, I love you. And for sure, like by April 8th. Wouldn't they be thinking that? Like, this is it. Yeah. We're not going to make it. I don't I don't know. And there's no picture of the girls. Yeah. After those single pictures, there's nothing. At all. Yeah. Like, that's so weird. And I, I don't know. Like, why would there only be those pictures on that one night? Was that the only night they were trying to move, maybe? Or was it the murderer just trying to find his way? Yeah. <laughs> I, I don't know. It's so weird. Yeah, that's very weird. I I mean, I think so. Because the cell phone checking thing can easily be done by the murderer to pretend that the girls were alive when they were already murdered. It's not rocket science. Mm -hmm. (laughs) The murderer knew that there was no signal in, in that location, so the calls will never go through. That's why the murderer was confident to call the police, because he knew he would not actually need to talk to them. Yeah. I don't know. I, I just, I don't know. And there were also other murderers in the area. So, and that was not really the safest place to go. That's why they were supposed to go with a guide, but they went like a day early. Mm-hmm. Um, just to go check it out. But I guess they decided to go further into it. They figured they had it. And something happened. It yeah. has never been solved. And it drives me insane. Interesting. Y'all know we don't like unsolved stuff, but I don't like unsolved stuff. I had stuff. to. I had to. I had to report it. <laughs> oh my gosh! Good job. If anybody knows anything, <laughs> I don't know who you're supposed to call. I don't but... either. <laughs> call us. I don't know. We'll figure it out. <laughs> so yeah, I don't know. Yeah, that's very mysterious. I don't know either. That's all I have, unfortunately. But I just thought it was so good. Like what? See? Now you know I was going, what? What? Yes. Okay. Good work. But now I'm like, what the fuck? I'm sorry. Damn it, Amanda. Eh. 
I don't think you're sorry. I don't think you're really sorry. I had to share my frustration with the world. <laughs> <laughs> I can't be the only one suffering with this. <laughs> Misery loves company. Right? I guess. I don't know. <laughs> welcome to my world. You're welcome. <laughs> okay. Let's do our little thing. Oh, yeah, yeah. Are this day in history? Yes, please. Today's January 19th. Yes. Yes. You're listening, maybe, on January 19th. Let's hope so. Okay. Or whenever. So, both of these people were born on January 19th. Ooh. Altimio? <laughs> well, I'm going to go with that. Altimio. Okay. C. Sanchez is an American serial killer who is known to have murdered and or raped at least four women and raped between 9 to 15 girls and women in and around Buffalo, New York, during a 25-year span from 1981 to 2006. Jesus! I know. Sanchez is also known as the Bike Path Rapist and Bike Path Killer. Ew. So, um, fuck you, Altimio. Yeah! Douchebox! Yes, douchebox. This other person was also born January 19th. Claude... Lastinet. Lastinet. Oh, I like Lastinet. Yes. Claude Lastinet. Yeah. Ooh. Is a French serial killer yeah. who was convicted of murdering five elderly women between uh. August 1993 and January 1994. He didn't waste any time, did he? No, he did not. Yikes. Ugh. So, two of the douchebox here. Yeah. yeah. So that was that. Ew. I don't like them. Mm-mm. No. Well, I, I'm pretty certain we're not going to like any of those people. Probably not. You're right. Since it's the serial They're all going in the box. in history. <laughs> yeah. It is true. So very true. So, what else you got? That's it. That's all we got. All right. Well, I guess that's all we have. Yeah. That's it, guys. Okay. Till next week. Bye. Goodbye. Thanks for hanging out with us. Don't forget to visit us on Facebook and Instagram for episode picks and announcements. Please rate and review on Apple, Spotify, and Facebook. We want to give a huge shout out to Stephen Goetzky for editing, Craig Weaver for music, and our very own Amanda Hagens for art. We'll talk at you next week.